You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's time. This is probably the one service that I dread the most out of every summer. Mostly because it's not the first time anymore. Because the first time really kind of set the tone. Because pastor calls these a mestimony. And what he really means is a time that he gets to enjoy me who prides myself. And my general self-control over my emotional state. And, you know, watches me, likes to watch me cry. Because I'm an ugly crier. And watching ugly criers cry is fun sometimes. And... (laughs) Growing up, it used to be just Miss Erin that was mean to me, but they've been married long enough that it's kind of bled over, so they both really kind of share that responsibility now. And, you know, with this, every year, you know, this, you know, to know what to say at this particular time kind of gets harder and harder, because, you know, how do you really put a cap on three years? I mean, uh, just so much happens, and there's so much that you could say, so many things you want to say, and you kind of have to go through your mind and sort through, you know, you know, if this is the last time that I stand before you under these circumstances, like, what, what do I want to leave with you? You know, what kind of, what kind of expressions of gratitude, you know, need to, need, do I need to say in order to, to, to really get my heart across? Um, and so, but even in spite of the uh, typical emotional nature of this, that hasn't stopped the questions of, are you going to preach short tonight? Or even uh, Brother Chad bribing me with a boat of bacon. Yes. And so, Brother Chad, just for you, four pages. Four pages, we're going short, but that's mostly just to, you know, provide me with the opportunity to regain my composure for the long periods of time that I'm not able to say anything, because again, I can't really operate when I start to cry. But I'm going to try to flip the order this time, because every time I try to express my gratitude first and then get into the message, it doesn't really work. So I'm going to try doing the message part first, but I mean, it really ties into, um, you know, really how, how God has moved in me for the last three years, and then I guess how I would, you know, hope that it provides an encouragement to you as well. Yeah. So again, I have, I have quite a few things that maybe I, I, would, I would like to, to say, and there's, there's enough that I'm not entirely sure, you know, where to start. However, um, with, with what I do plan to say, it might take a little bit of a mental trip to get there, so we're not actually going to open to our passage uh, just yeah, actually no. Go ahead and turn to First Chronicles chapter twenty-two, but we won't start reading right away. Do First Chronicles chapter twenty-two. And so to begin, I'm gonna. I really want to introduce the idea that that uh, I, I hope to get across tonight with with an illustration back from just from my experiences at school um, at Heartland. Uh, in your junior or senior year, you actually kind of get to pick which year you take this class, but you're required to take a, a personal finance class uh, with Brother Jeff Copes. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the class immensely just kind of due to its practical nature. Um, and I just enjoy practical things. I got to see kind of the mechanics, more, a closer look at the mechanics of how, how money works and budgeting works and all those things. And for those of you who are thinking, man, is he really going to get up here and preach about money right before we're about to give him a love offering? No, I'm trying to get a point across. Don't be judging me too early. But, but anyway, so but I, I just, there were some neat things that I learned in the class um, just as far as the realms of, of finances go, just especially as a, 
as a college student who was just a few years out of high school. And what, excuse me, what I'm about to say is, is I'm sure a widely cited, widely cited principle in the realm of finances, but, but it was the first time I'd heard it at the point of taking this class, and that is, you know, don't waste all your time working for your money. Um, make your money work for you. And, and that was kind of the phrase that Brother Copes used to really get into the section that was about making investments, making financial investments, and how, you know, rather than us just accumulating wealth by, by doing work, sometimes what we'll do in order to further uh, achieve profit, perhaps, in the, in the secular realm, is that we will make an investment with, with varying levels of risks in hopes to achieve a, a better result. And, and that's, that's the basic principle behind what we call investing, and that extends far beyond the realm of finances, which is where I tend to go with it. So the finances really just kind of served as the introduction to the idea of investing, but the idea that, you know, in spite of, you know, certain risk factors that come with, you know, pouring uh, resources into something that's with the intention to achieve a particular result. And, and investing in anything in general largely follows uh, a similar pattern. The idea is that we put in work, or, or time, or effort, or anything like that into something, uh, and then as a result of that, we receive a tangible and hopefully positive uh, result of our input. In finances, there, there's high-risk and low-risk investments, which are simply assessed by the possibility of how likely it is to lose what specific result is being sought after. And, and the same idea can even be applied to person-to-person interactions. I know that you know a lot of teachers, I, I find... Uh, of, a partic- of a particular skill or, or, or field that they're trying to teach will often invest themselves more into the students that show the most interest and thus the most promise. That's, that's the way that investment usually works in a you know, practical example. Um, and and I, I love martial arts. Most of you know that about me by now. Um, you know, one of the stipulations that my teacher gave me is he's like, okay, if I'm going to invest my time and energy in, into training you, what, what I expect from you is to get better, and I expect you to, to invest yourself into this because I'm investing into you, and if I get the sense that uh, you're not really all that serious about this and that I'm wasting my time, then, then I'm just going to ask that you don't come back. I mean, that was just kind of, the, kind of the attitude that it was, and I tried to do my best to honor the investment that he made in me by, by doing my best. You know, likewise, uh, I think in a lot of ways, you know, pastor has, has made similar investments in me, such as saying, you know, come up here and and work for the summer because I believe that God has things here for you to, to learn and I'm going to invest time and energy into training you and hopefully you'll produce some tangible results. And unfortunately last year all of my tangible results went down the drain along with my computer hard drive that failed and he called me and he said, you're a failure and give me my money back. So <laughs> high risk, high reward. <laughs> you know, those are kind of the situations that we find. But, but the, our, our common mindset when it comes to investments is that we will assess the risks before we make the investments because of the results that we want to see. And that's, that's a very, that's honestly a very smart way of doing things. I, I couldn't necessarily speak to the intelligence of anyone who's just going to invest their money into something that they have no idea what's going to happen with it. So, so in, a, in a broad sense, that, that's a wise thing to do. However, in the passage that we're going to look at tonight, um, there was an interesting idea that, that follows investment that came to David's investment in the house of God. 
Because like I, like I pointed out, a lot of our investment into something is going to be dictated, and our, and our seriousness about that investment is going to be dictated by the returns we believe we're going to see from it. And so if you would, take a look at your passage. We'll go ahead and stand um, just for the honor of reading God's word. Uh, it'll just be the first five verses of First Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and and he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance For the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Uh, Thank you. you. You may be seated. Now, um, it's going to be difficult to maybe try to try to wrap your to, to follow perhaps my train of thought without giving some context to to this passage. Um, back in in First Chronicles chapter seventeen, we find David uh, sitting there as the king, um, and and I don't really know of, of the situation leading up to it. Just the, the chapter opens with with David uh, was considering the tabernacle of the Lord and and. Uh, uh, he, he, he looks and they you know, how am I as king abiding in such a, in such a magnificent house while, while the ark of God is in a tent? Yeah. You know, that was basically his heart. That was his mind. And, and what, what follows, I, th- I think what David follows as, as the interaction between David and God, um, you know, carries out from his desire. He says, I, I want to build God a temple. That, that, was, the, that was David's heart. Right. You know, he, he caught a vision to, as, as he thought back and looked on everything that God had brought him from, you know, tending the, tending the flocks of his father and, you know, becoming the, you know, slaying a giant and standing up for God in front of his people and conquering the Philistines, then, then becoming captain of the host of Israel and serving under Saul. And then even, even in Saul's, um, you know, rebellion against God, um, you know, still serving faithfully and watching God bring him to the position where he is now ruler over the entire nation of Israel and, you know, he is now responsible for, for leading Israel uh, forward as, as God would have him do. And, and so I, I firmly believe that his, his desire to, to build something for God stemmed from his reflection on what God had done for him already. And so, so what he says is he says, I, I want to build God a house. And the problem was, is that, you know, God, the word of the Lord quickly comes back to David. And, and God says, you know, David... I didn't ask you to do this. And it, he, wasn't, he wasn't chiding him for anything. Oh, I want that to be clear. He wasn't, he wasn't telling David that he did something wrong by saying, you know, you want to build me a house and I never told you to do that. Um, he actually told David that I'm going to bless you because I'm going to bless you in your house because, you, you know, you've sought to do something for my glory. But you don't get to be the one that sees the temple built. So, so in spite of the, the excitement that David may have had for for, for building something for God and catching a vision of, of what the house of God could be and for the involvement that he could have to, 
to, to, to bless God so that, so that way God would bless the people of Israel in return. And, you know, his desire to make an investment in the house of God, and God said, you won't see the results of it. And we find in this particular chapter that, that you know, David sets forward to, to preparing for building the house of God. And then we find, you, you read several chapters later that, that David dies. And, and just like he said, you know, there is no temple. It hasn't even been started yet. But as I read about it, I quite honestly was, looked at David's response in an all-new light. Now, now God told David for, for particular reasons why he wouldn't be allowed to be involved in the building of his house, and that had to do with the fact that he was a man of war and that he had, had shed blood, and, and the one that would, that would build his house would be a man of peace and, and, and that, that hands that, that honored God and, and how they, they, they sanctified life and, and such. But I'm, I'm not going to so much dwell on that, and, and that's certainly a, a, a main point, but I, I, re, I really was intrigued by David's response to being told that you want to make this investment He's consumed by this vision, and yet he's told, you, you won't see any results from it. And I think if we go back to how we often consider investments that we make, and how, well, then our enthusiasm, or perhaps our inclinations to invest in something being based on the results that we can see, I mean, I, I feel like it would have been natural for David to say, well, okay, God said that Solomon's going to take care of it. Well, then, well, then Solomon, Solomon will take care of it. But that's not what happened. David was... David was so consumed by the vision that he had for the house of God that the results to him came second. And that even in spite of that, he gave himself to the abundant preparation Amen. for things that, for, for, for the construction of, of the temple. Yeah. And we find his mind was not on simply seeing the results that he wanted. And that his passion for being invested in building the house of God came from his vision for what glory God could receive from such a work and not just from the prospect of enjoying the results yeah. of, of what he could accomplish. Right, that's good. Yeah. And, and really, I, that to me kind of parallels honestly how all three summers have, have worked for me and, and trained for me. Not to, I, I don't want to be so presumptuous to compare myself to David. I trust that you know I, I won't do that. I certainly fall short in so many areas, but, but Eastside Baptist Church has made it very easy for me to be able to... Man, here it goes. Uh, that's why my notes are so short, so that way I can do this. been able to come for three summers and enjoy being involved in and submitted to a vision that our pastor has for Eastside Baptist Church. 
and to, to have had a, a part in being involved in that has been a, a great honor for me. And, you know, as, as a young Bible college student, you know, it's easy to, you know, take a step into ministry and be really excited for, for what you can do and the things that you can accomplish and, um, you know, really want to get hands-on to, to, to build something at, at wherever God puts you. But, you know, it's, it's also easy to, to uh, lose focus on the results of your investments rather than the joy of investing in the vision that God simply put in your life. And you know it kind of it kind of goes hand in hand with a with a book that Pastor had the interns read this summer, called uh, "Liberating Ministry from the uh, Success Syndrome," and that you know what we accomplish for God is not about the results; it is about having a heart and having a vision. And I'm sorry if my thoughts don't seem very cohesive because I tend to lose my train of thought as as emotions tend to to go, but. I just, I don't know, to, to, I don't want to make the, the pulpit, being behind the pulpit seem so casual, but I mean, if you, have you really, when was the last time, you know, we've really taken a look around and had dreams yeah. about Eastside Baptist Church? Yes, sir. Because being able to come in here every day in this environment and, and, and reflecting on what God's done in my life you know, personally, I, I don't come from necessarily a, a background that would, you know, give me much, much promise and or ability in the realm of ministry. And, and certainly, you know, when, I, when I'm standing here and I look at where I've come from, I mean, I certainly know that most of you think, well, he's a Bible college student. It's probably a, a semi-natural place for him to be. He's just cutting his teeth in. Well, pastor can tell you about the the seventh grade kid that would go on youth trips and would vomit on every single one because I was so nervous to, to go anywhere. <laughs> and so when I look at, you know, where God has brought me to this place and the opportunities that, that he has allowed me to be involved in, it has made it very easy for me to be able to to come in here and remind myself that it's not just a job. I'm not here as a staff intern that's being paid to do work at the church. Because I have an opportunity to be here and to be involved in a greater vision for what Eastside Baptist Church could be. And that it's not necessarily in my lot. Because as God's direction for my life becomes clearer, and for the last three years, the investments that I've been allowed to be involved in I can say for certain now that I don't regret being able to be fully invested in the life of this church. And I may not be able to see the end results of that, but it's, it's worth it to be involved in that vision. And David prepared, it said the passage says that David prepared abundantly before his death in spite of the fact that no results could be promised 
And he put in a lot of hard work. And that hard work certainly paid off, even if that was outside of his time and being involved in it. And like I said, it's a really short thought tonight, but when, when you truly take a moment to sit down and be still and deliberately think about where God has brought you from between the day you first met Jesus until now, does it fill you with a passion and desire to do something great for God here at Eastside Baptist Church simply because he deserves it? Do you have a, a genuine desire to become invested in what is happening here at the house of God? And the next question would be, what, what's defining your investment? Is our, is our commitment to be invested in building up the house of God driven by our vision or our desire to see the results? And it's very easy to, to slip into to do that. I, I know it's our, our natural inclination. Are, are we hesitant to fully invest our lives here without the promise of seeing the results for ourselves? Are, are the ministries that we see needs in and that we can fill, are, they, are those being neglected because we, we, we simply don't have the confidence that it'll ever be what we wish it could be in our lifetime? And from the first time I got here again, I, I, I've watched this church really take steps in the direction of really catching a vision and getting behind our pastor and really, really making something here of the house of God. And the summer Bible rally this summer was really an encouragement to me Amen. to watch everyone in our church get behind. It yes. was a humbling experience to get to be involved in something that carried so much weight and that had the ability to affect so many people. And I've been complimented over and over again about how well planned it was and how well run it was and, and all of those things. And, and I appreciate that, but, but Nate, and, Nate and I both could tell you that we could have spent twice the amount of time planning and, and three times the amount of time trying to do everything that ourselves but there was no, no amount of anything that could be pulled off that kind of work without the investment of our entire church body. That's right. Amen. And you all really, really bought into it. Amen. Even though I could stand up here and, and pitch ideas before you and say this would be great, but I could promise you no results. And praise the Lord that he rewarded the efforts that were put forward. But I really am convinced that what happened was that God acted on behalf of a people that genuinely caught a vision to do something for him. And, and I can't tell you what that could become. What, what we've invested in could turn into... And it really could be the launch pad for one of the most effective outreach programs that our region has ever seen. From the amount of lives that we touched in a single day, who knows what that could become. And I think we all have dreams for what we wish it could be. And the challenge is that will we remain as invested in it, even if we may never see those results in our lifetime. But again, you know, as I watched everything unfold in the summer Bible rally and I watched the excitement, just the sheer pleasure of serving God jump from member to member 
it really got my mind to wondering, you know, what could, what could happen if the vision that people caught for just that certain thing spread to every aspect of this house of God? You know, what if our people looked around with the vision and desire to make something great for God here in every single area that could use attention? In areas that we could invest ourselves in and really say, I, I genuinely am convinced that God can make something in this and it's wholly worth it to invest myself in it, even if I may never be the one that sees it become what I hope it to be. Sure. Yeah. You know, we... As we try to build an outreach program, I mean, it, it, it's difficult to, to work schedules together to, to have something organized. I, I get that. But, but what, if, what if people in here had such a vision for this community that they said, I may not be able to make it to outreach, but I can just pick one other person in this building that's going to keep me accountable for the opportunities that I have throughout the week to make an investment in someone, invite them to church, or to witness to them for the Lord, so that way I make sure that I'm investing every moment into reaching out to the souls in our community. Yeah. And you never know what that could become, what, how that excitement will spread and how that could turn into an, an outreach effort probably unlike anything this church has seen before. Another aspect would be, would be a prayer ministry. You know, I think about this, one of, probably one of the most helpful and the most meaningful times to me during this summer was, you know, on, a, on Sunday mornings, we would get here before anybody else, and we'd meet in pastor's office, you know, until his shoulder surgery. And even then, you know, Samuel and Nate and I still met, and we just prayed for the day. Yes, sir. And we spent some time in the morning praying that each and every one of you would be able to, to come in here and leave the, the pressures and weights of, of life outside and that you would find a genuine environment to meet with God and to be recharged and to be ministered to. And that above all, that God would really be honored by the day each and every week. And I think about that and I wonder, you know, what could that become? You know, what if someone in this room caught the vision that said, you know, getting here 20 to 30 minutes before choir practice really isn't that much time in the grand scheme of things. You just have a couple of men that, that get together and we say, we're going to pray for the day. And you have no idea what kind of results that could achieve. I can tell you that, you know, this morning, I have no idea how I made it through leading songs. <laughs> I'm not good at it. But I'm convinced that this morning we had the energy in the song service because somebody prayed for that today. You may never, you may never see the results of, of what you're starting, but that doesn't make the investment any less worth it. And if you catch a vision for establishing a ministry of prayer at this church, you have no idea what that could be. You know, a couple of men taking, getting in a classroom before choir practice could easily turn into a men's prayer meeting where every man here is motivated to be involved in corporate prayer, to see to it that our God is worshipped every Sunday yeah. and that our pastor is able to minister to the guests that walk in the door and that we are able to do our part to provide people with an environment where God can truly be magnified. Yes, sir. And these are visions. These are visions that we can catch. And they're things that aren't built overnight. And they're great ideas in the grand scheme of things that require a lot of investment that 
I can't promise results that you will see within your days. But because of David's preparation, Solomon was able to build a temple unlike anything the world had ever seen since. And you know, what could Eastside, even though we may never see the full potential of Eastside Baptist Church, what could our children make Eastside Baptist Church? Because we're committed to be invested in the vision and not just in the results. And Eastside Baptist Church to me, and everywhere that I've been, you know, I don't know that everyone here is familiar with all the places down south, but I'm from Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And where I'm from, that's a name that carries a lot of weight. I get to go to Southwest Baptist Church down in Oklahoma City, and down where I'm from, that's a name that carries a lot of weight. But to me, Eastside Baptist Church is some of the greatest potential to become a work for God, unlike anything anyone's ever seen. The city that we're in and the opportunities that we have and the people that we could reach. Yes. Because, because of my investment here and, and the vision that you all have made it so easy for me to see, I'm convinced of that. Amen. You know, like I said, you know, fortunately I haven't been sobbing so ugly that I've been able to at least talk most of this time, but... You know, it's no surprise to me that in events like this, I'm really not able to keep it in because in my first summer here, this was my opportunity. In my third summer here, this is my home. The family sits right over there. We have a couple at home because one's sick, but that's okay. He'll be all right. But I just, in closing, I, I, I can't tell you know what happens between now and the future. I love Eastside Baptist Church with all my heart. And I feel like as, as God leads me to the foreign mission field, it's probably inevitable that our paths cross again one day, but what happens between now and then, I don't know. But this is the perfect opportunity for me to just express my gratitude and, and for whatever tonight was for you. You know, if you walk away with anything, whether or not my idea was clear or not, from the point out. I wish to convey to you tonight, just know this, that I am humbled and honored to have been involved in everything that's happened here. I love each and every one of you. And, you know, by now I, I know each and every one, most all of you by name, and know some of your stories, and, and you hold a very dear place in my heart. And people ask me if I'm excited to go back, and the answer is no, because <laughs> I don't want to leave. But just like, you know, when you read a passage in the Bible, you have to turn the page to see how God works next. And when God built the temple, unfortunately, David wasn't around anymore. And I may not be able to be around to see everything that Eastside Baptist Church could be. But if everyone here committed to the vision of what God can do in a place like this, I know that every investment that I've made here has been totally worth it. And being able to rub shoulders with all of you has been the greatest honor of my life. I love you, and I thank you all for, again, uh, giving this opportunity to me. And um, I'm just going to close this in, in a word of prayer. And, and you know, for the invitation, I, I do with that as you will. Take time to thank God for what he's brought you from. Just like David reflected on, on where God brought him from, from being a shepherd boy to being a king, take time to thank him. Yes. Take time to really ask God to show you, God, 
you know, I want to do something for you. Give me a vision to grasp, to do something for you at your house, not just to achieve some sort of result, but because you deserve it. Because of everything you've done for me, you deserve that in kind. And even just to thank God for the opportunities that perhaps he's given you this far. But let's bow for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, amidst the, the, the scramble of my, my, my thoughts and amidst the, the mess of my emotions, um, I truly want to thank you for the opportunities that you've given me to be at Eastside Baptist Church. And if there was a way that I could express my love in, in such a way that you know, words can't do justice, so that people here could see just how rewarding it is to be invested in your house and in your people. God, I, uh, you love these people and I love these people. And Lord, I just ask that as, as we all move forward, that you would help us to keep an eye on the vision and that our investments in that vision won't be dictated by the results that we'll see. And God, we know that as pastors mentioned this morning, if we, if we seek to bless you, because you deserve it, God will be blessed in kind and the results that could come from our investments would be unlike anything that we've ever seen. So God, now do with this invitation as you will. And once again, we love you and God, thank you for Eastside Baptist Church. In Jesus' name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.